Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Last week we started part one of this message, and you'll probably be very glad I made it two sermons instead of just one. The value of knowing Christ. Last week we looked at those statements that Paul made about what he considered loss And we're going to look at what he considers gain today. But if you would follow along, I'd like to begin in verse 1 of Philippians 3. And then we'll pick up the study in verse 7 in a moment. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a protection for you. Watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who serve by the Spirit of God We boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. And that's the heart of what Paul was saying that we looked at last week. He doesn't put any confidence in the flesh or what he can do in and of his own effort. No confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, he says, Although I once also had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So Paul listed those things that if he wanted to, he could place his confidence in. He did at one time. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, he was persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Paul lists all those things to say, I no longer trust in them. I consider them lost. Now let's look at the part of the passage we're going to look at this morning. But everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul says, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth. Some translations say refuge. Consider them filth so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Verse 10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul says, those are some things I consider loss. Here's some things I consider gain. So number one, consider our losses. If we're going to apply the truths that Paul stated to the church at Philippi there, we too need to consider our losses. Remember, we're not going to put our faith in anything we can do, our tradition, our ritual, our our denomination, anything that we would go through, anything that would be effort of our own, baptism, good works. We, we, We consider those loss because of Christ. Number two, let's consider what we've gained. Last week we considered what was lost today. Let's consider what we've gained. He says in verse eight there, these are the things that I consider lost so that I may gain Christ. Three things I wanna say about this. First of all, he gained and we too gained the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of Christ. In verse eight, he says, more than that, that I consider everything to be a loss because I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth that I may gain Christ. Paul says he wants to know Christ the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. To know means to know by experience. 
He's talking about a personal relationship with Christ. When he says in verse 10, this is my goal, to know him, he's not saying, I've never known Christ. He's saying, I've come to know Christ as my Savior. I want to know him more. So he wants to start at that point to say, you need to begin with knowing him as Savior. We're gonna say more about this uh, later on in the sermon there, but to know means to know by experience. So Paul says, I have the, the knowledge of Christ. He gained that. Secondly, he gained the righteousness of Christ. This is powerful. Look at verse nine again. The righteousness of Christ. He says, that I would be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law. Now, here, remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was a law keeper. He was a rule keeper. They prided themselves, the Pharisees, in being very religious people. So he says, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I, I kept the rules. And he says in verse 9 there, I don't want to trust in those things I would do, this righteousness of my own that comes from rule keeping of the law, but one that is through faith, in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. There's a, a theological term here for this. It's called imputation, where the, the righteousness of Christ is given to me. Paul says, I've made an exchange. The righteousness of Christ has been put to my account, and my sin has been put to his account. Just I want to quickly read several verses here as Paul talks about this truth, and, and John also and Peter even. In, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Paul says, God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us. In other words, to take on our sin so that we might take on the righteousness of Christ. John wrote about it this way in 1 John 3, 5. He said, you know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins. And there is no sin in him. So the Bible says my sin has been taken, placed on him. Romans 8, 3. The law could not do this since it was limited by the flesh. What it couldn't do, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the flesh like ours under sin's domain as a sin offering. Christ became the sin offering for us. He took our sin. And the first Peter 2, 4. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree or the cross. Having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. Galatians 3.13 says, we've been redeemed from the curse. Everyone who's hung on a tree is cursed. So Christ became cursed for us so that we might have his righteousness. That's pretty incredible, folks. Not just that, that Jesus would say, I'm going to make you holy, but I'm going to take your sin on myself on the cross. That's powerful. That's what the, the cross was all about, that mankind's sin caused Jesus to be nailed to the cross in our place. When the Bible says that Christ died for us, that little word F-O-R means in our place. He died in my place. I deserved a death on the cross to pay for my sins, but I could not do that because I could not be a perfect sacrifice. Neither could you, but he was for us. We now have the righteousness of Christ. We don't have time there, but go read Romans 9 and Romans 10. It's deep theological stuff, but it kind of parallels this statement here about how we now have the righteousness of Christ. Paul says, I know him by experience. I now have his righteousness placed on my behalf, on my account. If you've ever had college students, you know occasionally that you either get a phone call or a letter or you get to see their bank account where it's going down to zero or below zero. And what do parents do? Usually they say, tough. No, what parents do, oh, I'm going to put some money in your account to get you over the hump, right? We sent you off to college. We're going to help you. We've done that. That's what Christ said. He looked at our account and saw that it was bankrupt. It was empty. And he says, I tell you what, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of that debt that you owe. I'm not only going to zero that debt out, 
but I'm going to put some money in your account. That's powerful. That's the righteousness of Christ for us. Knowledge of Christ, righteousness of Christ. And then thirdly, the fellowship of Christ. Paul says, I've gained this, the fellowship of Christ. And I just want to read verse 10 and 11 again. This this theme just goes through the whole, the heart of the, the message today. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Focus on that phrase there, the, the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul says, I want, I want to be a part of what Christ was about. And it was about suffering. And Paul says to, to be a partner with Christ, to be in fellowship with Christ, so I'm going to take that on. Remember we said that one of the themes of the book of Philippians is joy through partnership, and a lot of what Paul does through this whole letter, it's a very personal letter written to a, very, uh, a church that he was very close with, and, and they, they had a partnership with him, they supported him, they encouraged him. Remember we saw recently how like no other church they had given to help him, and he, he had this special love relationship with the church at Philippi. And so for their partnership there, and we use that same word, partnership, fellowship, to be effective, both parties had to be involved in that and committed to that. And so as he's talking about his relationship, Relationship with God, this fellowship with Christ, both parties need to be actively involved. Though God's Holy Spirit is, has, is indwelling Paul, and he indwells us, and, and he, he enters into this partnership with us. As we baptized Ryan a minute ago, what that was was that was a symbolic act to let you know that he's already committed his life to Christ. He's already in a relationship with Christ, in fellowship with Christ. And as we pray back there, we pray that that would be something that's ongoing and continuing. That's the way it should be. Active participation in our relationship with God. Active participation with the people of God. Well, I tell you, I get a lot of blogs and, and emails about the statistics, current trends in the church, and, and, and quite frankly, it's depressing. Of the number of Americans who no longer attend church, the number of church members who no longer attend church. You know what? The, the average church member attends church regularly two Sundays a month. Every other Sunday, in a Sunday with five, I mean, a month with five Sundays, I guess they, they miss three. The average, not the average person, but the average church member is only participating those two Sundays out of a whole month. Let me, let me challenge you to just to step it up in your relationship with Christ and your fellowship with him. That when you're with the people of God, there's this encouragement, there's this support, there's, there's, there's the body life that we need week after week after week as we connect with one another and have fellowship with one another. And I tell you what, that fellowship with the believers encourages you in your fellowship with Christ. And the other way also, if you have fellowship with him personally, it'll be better fellowship with believers. So Paul says, these are the three things that I've gained. Knowing him, his righteousness, and fellowship with him. So then in this passage Theologians have looked at this and said that Paul, in essence, lays out the three aspects of salvation that, that I've been justified, sanctified, and glorified. And, and some have said this is a, a, his theological treatise of what he believes about those three parts of salvation. So I kind of like to look through those um, today. So first of all, number three, we're going to trust Christ alone for our righteousness. Trust Christ alone as our righteousness. That's the word justified, justification, if you're looking for that theological term there. Justification. Somebody said, just as if I'd never sinned. That's a good way to say it. To say that it's just, a, a, just as if God looks at me and he sees the righteousness of Christ. A couple of things about this justification. Justification is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Paul states it in verse 9. To be found in him, not having a righteousness, righteousness of my own from the law. 
Paul is reminding us that salvation is by grace through faith. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. We've looked at that repeatedly. Paul says, this righteousness that I have, this justification, when God looks at me and sees my sin account has been settled and the debt has been paid and the account has been deposited, the righteousness of Christ, it is, it is a gift from God. It has to be received. It can't be earned. When we talk about people receiving Christ as Savior, we use that term because it fits theologically. God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross in your place. He took your sin, but you have to receive that gift of eternal life. If somebody buys a gift for you, and we've used analogies over the years to say that, that if I were to buy this watch for you, and it's not real expensive, so anyway, um, if I were to buy this Timex for you and, and have you in mind and write your name on the back and put it in a, put it in a, a, a box and wrap it up and say here and hand it to you, and you never take the gift, you've never received it, it doesn't do you any good, does it? Christ died for you, he had you in mind, he paid the price for your sin, in essence he wrote your name on that, and he's extending salvation to you. It's a free gift that you have to receive. Secondly, justification is received by faith. He says there, I want to I wanna come before him with a righteousness not of my own, but one that is through, verse 9, through faith in Christ. Through faith in Christ. John 1, 12 says, as many as received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Justification, being made right with God, receiving him by faith. But number four, let's look at that next aspect of salvation. It's called sanctification. We know Christ and become like him. To know Christ and become like him. We trust him alone for salvation. Now we know him. Again, we said, remember, know is to know by experience. And we want to become like him. That's the process of sanctification. It's a big word, but it just means to be made more like Christ, to be yielding my life to him moment by moment, day by day. So several things about this sanctification I'd like to, to share from this passage. First of all, knowing Christ is a personal experience. We talked about that already, that it's, it's, an, it's something by experience. It has to be personal. Listen, I, we say Often have you made a personal commitment of your life to Christ because that word is important. It's not just enough to assent to the fact that, that Jesus is who he says he is, he did what he said he did, but I have to personally accept that by faith. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. It doesn't just happen by coming to church and by osmosis, all these other believers around you, you become a believer. It doesn't happen that way. Keith Green used to say, going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger any more than going to church makes you a Christian. It just showing up is good, but that's not all there is to it. Listen, I've shared my personal testimony over and over again, but some of you never heard it. So I, as I was praying through what to share at this point, I thought I'm just going to share my story. I was raised in a, in a Southern Baptist church. Uh, to this day, when I go in old buildings and I smell those old smells of those old buildings, it takes me back to when I was a toddler. Whenever I smell apple juice and vanilla wafers, I, it takes me back. You know, just those memories... And so from, from, from a little, little kid, I was taught Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I, and I believe that. And, and I walked as a little, little kid through those halls of the church week after week after week. And we went every Sunday. There came a time as a, a little boy, I knew all the truths. And I, uh, somebody said, you need to join the church. And I said, sure, I'll do that. And I went through the motions and became a member of the church. They even baptized me. But I did not know Christ personally. It wasn't until I was 18 years old, about 18, 
that I realized I, had, I knew all about him because I was raised in the church, but I had never had personally invited Christ to take control of my life. And let me tell you, when I, when I did that, when I made that commitment to say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know you died for me. Please come into my life. Take up residence. Take ownership of this. I surrender to follow you and obey you the rest of my life. That's when I came to know him by experience. It was a personal relationship. If you just became a church member, or you just walked an aisle, or you just signed a card, or you just went through the motions, but you've never trusted Christ personally, you've never had this personal experience of knowing Christ. And I know what it's like because I grew up in the church knowing all about him, but I didn't know him. Secondly, when we think about justification and becoming like him, knowing Christ is a powerful experience. It's personal to know him personally, but then it's powerful. Look at verse 10. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. We sing songs sometimes about the power of the resurrection, his resurrection power. We, we talk about it. We celebrate it. We sang about it this morning. And we, we think about, yeah, that's really cool. I have the resurrection power, but I want you to understand how personal it needs to be. In Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. Sometimes I'm, I'm looking at the, either the water or the, the sun or the clouds or the sunrise or whatever, and I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by the majesty of God's creation. And then I think that very God lives in me. I was thinking this morning as our men were sitting down to pray back there, I, I went to cross my legs and I had all these little dots on, my, on the, the cuff of my, my, my uh, dockers. I guess they're dockers, I don't know. And they're these little, these little seeds that are stick, they're, they're like glue. When you walk through the grass, and I was just thinking, what, a, what an amazing creator we have that decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way to spread those seeds so they'll stick to animals and people and get scattered. I just thought, what a, what a creative God we have. That's the God who lives within the believer. Don't miss that powerful experience. In, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talked a little bit about the, the power of, of God being in the life of a believer. I just want to read part of this. Um, let's look at verse 14 in, in Ephesians 3, if you want to follow along with me. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, and listen to the benefits we have in Christ, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit, that the Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray this, that you would be rooted and firmly established in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints, that's other believers, with all the saints, what is the length and the width and the height and the depth of God's love. To know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge so that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Did you see that? Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all, to all generations forever. Amen. 
that power is at work in us. And, and I'm not talking about this kind of power, name it, claim it. I can do all things. I can do anything I want. I, I claim it, name it, and God's got to accomplish it. I'm talking about the reality of the creator of the universe dwelling within you, transforming your life. It's a powerful experience. It needs to be appropriated to your life. Don't walk out of here saying that was good church service. Walk out of here saying, wow, the sovereign God of the universe who created this incredible world dwells within me because I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a believer. You have that power available. Thinking about the story of the country boy who had like a hundred trees to cut down, some acreage to clear, and he went to the store. He hadn't been used to going to the store, and he asked for a saw that would cut down all those trees, and the guy said, okay, I guarantee you with this saw, you'll be able to cut down a hundred trees in a day. And man, he's excited. So he takes the saw, buys the saw, and he goes out there, and he works all day long, sweating, hardest work he'd ever done in his life. He's only able to cut down about five trees. He takes the saw back to the store and says, man, you promised me this thing would, this thing would chop down 100 trees in a day. I've only got five down. And the guy says, man, I, I don't understand it. Let me check it out. And he pulls the starter on the chainsaw and it revs it up. And the guy, country boy says, what's that noise? <laughs> Some of you will get that later. <laughs> you literally have the power resurrection power of Christ living within you, and we're operating as if there's no gas in the gas tank, as if there's no engine. It's personal, it's powerful, but number three, it's knowing Christ is a painful experience. This is a great sermon point, isn't it? Knowing Christ is a painful experience. Paul says right there, to know the power of his resurrection and, verse 10, the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. Paul says part of the relationship with Christ is that I suffer with him and for him. Chapter 1, Paul talks about that in Philippians. It'll be a painful experience. Paul knew what it was to suffer. Read his story. Shipwreck, beatings, imprisonment, left for dead, almost drowned, on and on and on. It can be a painful experience. Suffering had been a part of Paul's Christian experience from the very beginning when he came to know Christ. We live in such a, well, things are changing now, but up until recently, we live in a very protected culture where being a believer is a very easy thing. It's not that way anymore. We are finally in America beginning to experience what the rest of the world experiences. To say that you stand for Christ is going to be countercultural. Knowing Christ and wanting to know him more and to grow, which is the sanctification process, means you will experience difficulty. You will experience the attack of the enemy. Peter said it this way, be sober, be vigilant, be strong in the Lord, because your adversary, the devil, is waiting for someone to devour. Don't be surprised, Peter says, at this fiery ordeal that's come your way. Don't be surprised. If you want to walk and follow Christ, you will suffer the attack of the enemy. I love what what Paul says in Ephesians 6. Just verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord in his vast strength. Put on the armor of God, the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand the attacks against the attacks of the devil. For our battle, verse 12, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the world powers of darkness 
against spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist the evil in the evil day and having been prepared for everything to take your stand. Those folks who are attacking you are really not the enemy. Satan himself is the enemy. We have a tendency, even within the church, when things don't go well, to demonize the other person, to say Satan's using that person. Satan's got a hold of their life. Well, that may be true, but the reality is you need to worry about that person. You need to worry about the enemy. It's a painful experience. To know Christ, to walk with Christ, we do stand in him because the enemy will attack. And it's not enough just to go through some motions. We need to grab hold of the spiritual truth of that. I was watching the movie Nacho Libre. What's well, a great movie? Ignacio is a, is a priest in training, and he's a wrestler, and he gets his buddy um, Escalito, I think is his name, and they're going to go. They're going to go do this tag team wrestling, but Escalito's not a believer. He believes in science. So Ignacio Nacho decides before he goes into the ring against this other group. They're called Satan's uh, Satan's um, cavemen. Satan's cavemen. He says we need to we need to be right. So he comes comes up behind his buddy and grabs a hold of him and puts a bowl of water and puts his head in the water and baptizes him because we're going against Satan's cavemen. That's how they're going to stand against the attack of the enemy. Folks, it's not that easy. It's not that simple. It's not a matter of being baptized. It's not a matter of of joining a church. It's not a matter of walking down an aisle. It's a matter of entering into a relationship with the living God. The Bible says this. I love this verse. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Can I paraphrase that? Paraphrase that? Jesus Christ lives within you, and he is greater than any attack of the enemy. It's painful, but we stand in him. Lastly, knowing Christ is a practical experience. A practical experience. Last part of verse 10 there, Paul says, being conformed to his death. A lot of debate about what Paul's talking about there. I I think application here with the context means walking with Christ on a daily basis. Dying to self. When we baptize someone and put them under the water, it's a picture that when that person trusted Christ, they died to self. And folks, that's a picture of what happens every single day of our life. We die daily. And I think implied here in, this, in the context there, this, this means that, that to be conformed to his death means to daily die to Christ. Practically, every day. I don't mean practically every day, but practically every day, moment by moment. This morning I prayed, Lord, today I yield to you one more time all over again my life. I, I give you this day, Lord. I die to self this day. See, some people think that receiving Christ is a one-time decision, and that's all you have to do. You can go on and live your life any way you want. If it's a genuine commitment to Christ, you know what it'll be? It'll be a decision with consequences. Every day you'll be applying that truth to your life. I stood in a church and said, I do, when our pastor said, do you take Kelly as your wife? And I said, I do. That was a one-time decision that I made 
that has had consequences every day of my life. As I was saying that, I knew you were going to take that wrong. I wish you could see the way she's looking at me. Has repercussions? No. What's the better word? Somebody help me. Blessings. Thank you. That, that one-time decision has affected every day of my life, and it's been blessed. Thank you. Do you all see what I'm saying, though? I, you know, it's not enough for me, to, Kelly, to say, uh, do you love me? Well, I told you I love you 37 years ago. I need to say it again? Yeah. I've heard of counseling situations where the husband and wife are sitting there like this with the pastor, just like this, and I've been there. What's the problem? Well, he never tells me he loves me. I said, I told you I love you 15 years ago when I married you. You want me to say it every day? Duh. Jesus, I told you I give my life to you. Do you want me to make it something that impacts every day of my life? Yes. It's very practical. It's daily. When you said I do, you said I will. Follow him. And then just to wrap up here, the fifth thing is that issue of glorification. Anticipate Jesus' return. When Paul says in verse 11, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead, he's not, not doubting that he's going to be resurrected, but he doesn't know how that's going to happen. And, and, and even this one word here, it's only used here only in the New Testament. It's actually ex out of resurrection. So Paul is saying that I could reach the out resurrection some, some believe that what Paul is saying here is that, that I could live it out in my daily life. Some say it refers to when he can just be in the presence of Jesus, and I think all of that applies. Paul said, I just want to be with Christ, and I want to anticipate his return. Paul said in chapter 3 later, we're going to look at this in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject, subject everything to himself. Resurrection, the hope we have to be in his presence one day. I read recently that there are 12 millionaires, at least 12, that have been recorded that have had their bodies frozen. So with the hope that science and medical uh, research will get to the point in 100 years or so that they'll be able to bring them back to life. So those millionaires are banking on the fact that science is going to bring them back to life. Paul says, here's my hope. My hope is in the power of God. Yesterday I rented a stump grinder. And, it's, and, and I'm proud of myself, I really am. Because as the guys at the shop were saying, have you ever run one of these before? You know what I usually say? Yeah, I got it. I got it. But this thing looked pretty ominous. So I told the young guy, no, I have never run one of those before. So he said, well, let me show you how it works. And he gave me this tutorial. Make sure this switch is this way, this is that way, this is that way, this is that way, this is that way, or else it won't work. Make sure that's that way, that way, that way. Never do this, never do that. I mean, he's just going through all this stuff. There's this lever, that lever, and here's how you do it. And he went through the whole process, and I thought, I think I've got it. I know how to run a stump grinder. I think I've got it. And I could go tell you all about how to run a stump grinder. 
because I heard I got the tutorial. I went through it with the guy. But let me tell you something. Until I pulled that cord and put that brake on and started grinding that sump, I really didn't know how to run a sump grinder. My hands and my feet and my back remind me today <laughs> that I know how to run a sump grinder. Now listen, some of you have been in the church a long time, and you've heard the tutorial week after week. You could even go out of here and tell somebody else how to go to heaven, but you've never appropriated it to your own life. You've never experienced what it's like to know him personally. I'm, I'm begging you, if you haven't made that commitment of your life to him, do it today. Let's pray together.